So, um, we just finished up seven months of studying Paul's letter to the Colossians. You go, seven months? How long is that book? Four chapters, okay? And um, we're, we're about six weeks away from Easter. I thought maybe we shouldn't start something like Leviticus or Second Kings. You go, <laughs> Second Kings? Yeah, that's a good one. That would be fun to do Second Kings. People would go, well, when did you do First Kings? Never. We're just going to start in Second Kings. So I thought, what can we do uh, next? I had this great idea. Um, Elizabeth and I, she works at this school called Moody Bible Institute. And they allow us to go on these trips. We get to go to Israel. Now, in the past, we were bus captains, which means, come on, Grandma, get on the bus. Come on, here, drink your water and carry your luggage. And so, This time, we get to actually uh, lead the tour, where we go out and go, this is where Jesus walked on water. Come on, let's walk on water. And so we're going to actually be able to teach on an Israel tour. Now, my thought was, wouldn't it be cool if you all went to Israel? Yeah, yeah. That would be cool, huh? Right? So I did some calculating. It's about 5000 bucks to go and a church of about 150 people. So it's $750,000 for one week. So then I thought, how about we save that? You put that in the building fund. We build a building and... I do a series called The Land of the Bible and save us all that money. Right there. Okay, so that's what I I would like to do. Um, Rather than us going to Israel, I want to bring Israel to the cornfield. All right, so that's the plan. Okay, so we'll see how this goes. But let's imagine that we are now on the airplane And um, we're going to fly from Chicago all the way to, I don't think you can even see it, but there's a little yellow dot right there called Israel. And uh, just, you you go, now that's that place where it's always in the news and Palestinians and Israelis are always fighting and there's a wall and there's uh, settlements being built and Uh, Boy, it must be a really big piece of land. Well, if you were to stick Israel on a map of the United States, that's how big it would be. Or another way to put it, look at Lake Michigan here. If you put Israel, it would fit safely right in the middle of Lake Michigan with plenty of room to swim around. Okay? Just a tiny piece of land. So... um, what you would do is you would fly into Tel Aviv, right there. Now, um, interesting little question here. What's the capital of Israel? <laughs> oh, you're one of those. <laughs> well, it's a debate because the Jews would say Jerusalem. It's always been the capital, right? So right there is Jerusalem. 
But all of the UN countries have their embassies in Tel Aviv. So even that question is controversial. What's the capital of Israel? Um, so you fly into Tel Aviv, and the first place we are going to be going is not to Jerusalem. We're going to save that for the end. But we're going to go up the coast to Old Caesarea. Okay? Um, now, if you were uh, alive back in the time of Christ, and you asked a Jew, what's the capital of Judea or, or Israel, what would they say? Yeah, they would say, well, of course, it's Jerusalem. If you were to ask Governor Pilate or Caesar or King Herod, what's the capital of Judea, what would he say? Caesarea, that's where, that's the headquarters. Things never change. 2,000 years, they still can't figure out the capital. Okay, so let's, uh, we're going to go to two places today. We're going to go to Caesarea and then Mount Arbel. All right, so let's go to Caesarea. Um, You would take a bus up to Caesarea. and, And what is Caesarea? Well, it was a beautiful city built by Herod the Great. Now, this was the Herod. There's several Herods in the Bible. This is the Herod who, when little baby Jesus was born, the wise men came, and he got paranoid, so he slaughtered all the babies in Bethlehem. It's that Herod. So Herod was a wicked man, but a great builder kind of an evil genius engineer, okay? He built, um, all over Israel, he built amazing things. Uh, One of the things he built was he built up the temple mound in Jerusalem, and the Jews had built a second temple there. And he goes, let's do this big. And he built a monstrosity of a temple. It was one of the the seven wonders of the ancient world. Okay, so Herod built the temple in Jerusalem, but he also took this little city on the seacoast, and he built it up, and he renamed it after Caesar, Caesarea, like Caesar Palooza is what this is. It's an honor of Caesar. And... Um, So these are some remains of his palace. Now, uh, this no longer is standing there, but here's a drawing. His palace jutted out into the Mediterranean Sea. It it was utter luxury. Okay. Um, Next to the palace is what you call the Hippodrome. It was a uh, a stadium that held 20,000 people for chariot races. So think Ben-Hur, right? This was one of these... Uh, chariot racing places, okay? Then, a little bit further north, he built the world's largest man-made harbor. It could uh, hold over 300 ships, okay? Then one day, he's sitting in his, uh, <clears throat> his palace, and he goes, boy, I could use a nice cold drink. Cold drink? There's no water. So he builds an aqueduct, which is still there today, 10 miles 
all the way north up to Mount Carmel. Um, so the water, and this is at a perfect six degree slant, and uh, it brings the water directly into Caesarea. So it's really probably the most beautiful city in Israel. Speaking of beauty, look who I found. <laughs> A beach beauty wearing Rafiki pants. Right? Okay. But then one of the more awesome things in Caesarea is this stadium that they uh, they've rebuilt it. It overlooks the Mediterranean. And um, it holds 4,000 people. And they have concerts there. Guess who'll be there this summer? Hall and Oates. <laughs> yeah? <laughs> yeah, they're still alive. Um <laughs> Hall and Oates, and then who else is going to be there? Oh, Snoop Dogg is going to be there. Um, so that is, I, I, would, I would love to preach there. And on the tour, I guess there, somebody is going to preach, probably Paul Nyquist, right? So Caesarea, I want to tell you uh, three things. So what we do is we get off the bus and we do the tour, and then um, we get to to tell some biblical, well, what happened at this place. So this is a great way to kind of do an overview of Bible themes, and, and we're doing it geographically. Now, let me tell you three things that happened here at Caesarea, and they all have to do with the glory of God and the gospel of God overcoming human obstacles, okay? So, and these are all in the book of Acts, the first human obstacle I'm going to tell you about is Peter's pride, or Peter's prejudice, I should tell you. Peter's prejudice. So um, here's the story where up to this point, the apostles had pretty much just kept the gospel in Jerusalem. Um, there was some persecution, and they kind of reluctantly went to Samaria and preached, but they had not officially brought the gospel to the Gentiles yet. Now, Peter has gone from Jerusalem to Joppa, which is also on the sea. In fact, um, I don't think we're going to go there, but we did go there once. This is Joppa. And here's a fisherman, he's telling that cat, I will catch you a fish. Right? Um, and the, <laughs> like everything in Israel is done really well, except for this. This is where Peter stayed. That Peter was staying at Simon the Tanner's house. Looks like a third grader took a paintbrush. And it says, House of Simon the Tanner. That is where Peter was up on the roof overlooking the Mediterranean Sea, having a time of prayer, and he does what many of us do. He fell asleep. And in his trance, God lets down a sheet from heaven in this dream full of unclean animals. And he says, Peter, eat. Peter argues with God. No, I'm not going to eat unclean animals. I'm kosher. So God lets on a second sheet. Eat. No, I'm not going to do it. Third sheet. 
8. And then finally, Peter starts to get the idea. I think God is saying that the food barrier is no longer important. We're supposed to, as Jews, take the gospel to the Gentiles. Right then, three soldiers show up. And they go, we're looking for Peter. Uh, Who's Peter? And Peter goes, "I'm, I'm the guy. He goes, well, come with us. We want to take you to Caesarea to talk to our commander. Now, there was... Uh, a commander, a, uh, a centurion named Cornelius, who was sending for Peter to go up the coast to Caesarea, about 30 miles up the coast. Okay, and, and Peter's like, okay, I think this is all tied together, and he goes. Now, what you need to know is God had been working behind the scenes in the heart of Cornelius. God sends an angel to Cornelius, right? And he stared, Cornelius stared at him in terror and said, what is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. He is lodging with one Simon, a tanner, whose house is by the sea. And Cornelius is terrified, and he's, he's been prepped by God to hear the gospel. Uh, interesting point. Notice, he sent an angel. God sent an angel. God could have preached the gospel through the angel, but he didn't. God has chosen to use humans to communicate the gospel. Okay? So, Peter shows up, and Peter's still thinking about this vision of the unclean thing, and he goes, I think God is saying it's okay to go to Gentiles. He's not too happy with this new plan. He liked it better when the Jews did Jewish things and the Gentiles did Gentile things, but now he's a little nervous. He shows up at Cornelius' house, and it says this, when Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet And worshipped him. (laughs) So Cornelius is so prepped that whatever walks in the door, he falls down and worships. Okay. But Peter lifted him up saying, stand up. I too am a man. Don't worship me. Gentile. I'm I'm kind of embellishing it myself here. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, So so here's Peter's gospel presentation. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. I really don't want to be here. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? What do you want? Well, there's a seeker-friendly sermon if I've ever heard one. Right. So, uh, so Peter shares the gospel, and they all believe. And they all get baptized, maybe in the Mediterranean. Right. And the gospel has crossed over. Now, the first barrier, the first lesson from Caesarea is this. 
The gospel overcomes human prejudice. Okay? As ambassadors for Christ, there is no room, there should be no room in our hearts for prejudice. Racial prejudice? Gender prejudice? How about this one, Americans? Political prejudice? I I think probably the biggest barrier today uh, in sharing the gospel is, is not racial. I think it's if, if you're of one political party and you see somebody of another political party with a sign or a, uh, a, a bumper sticker, uh, you're like, I'm not going to share the gospel with them. Really? Or, or there, there's another barrier, personality. You work with somebody at work and they just drive you crazy with their personality. Really? That's going to prevent you from sharing the gospel? I, I think Peter's prejudice being overcome by this example is an example of how there is no distinction amongst peoples. We are ambassadors for Christ. So what are you letting get in the way of having a heart for any person in sharing the gospel? Right? little second point that I think this, this makes is this. When you share the gospel, assume that if you get to the point where you're actually sharing the gospel, God has already been at work in the person's heart. Right? This, the, Peter didn't just show up out of the blue and the first Cornelius thought about God was... Uh, when Peter showed up, God had already been working, right? So when you share the gospel, hey, if, if it's just up to you and your clever gospel presentation and your ability to, to, uh, uh, to draw the diagrams and to explain it, we're all, we're lost. The world is lost if it's up to our cleverness. Peter bumbled and stumbled and they got saved anyways, Believe that God is already working in the hearts of people all around you. All right? So the first thing that I want you to see from Caesarea is that uh, the, the gospel overcomes human prejudice. All right? So now let's move forward two chapters. That's chapter 10. Let's go to Acts chapter 12. And we want to see the next thing that... The gospel and the glory of God overcomes is Herod's pride. Okay, Now, when I talk about Herod, um, there's a bunch of Herods in the Bible. They're all related, but they're different guys. So, first of all, there's Herod the Great. He's the one who built Caesarea. He's the one who sought to kill baby Jesus. Okay, He's, the, uh, he, he's Herod the Great. Now, He has four sons. His kingdom is divided amongst these sons. And the one uh, that we read about in the Gospels is Herod Antipas. He's the one who beheads John the Baptist. And during Christ's trial, he's before Governor Pilate. But he also, Pilate sends him to Herod Antipas. Jesus doesn't say a word to him. Okay? Then, in the book of Acts, we read about 
Herod Agrippa the first. Right? So he's the grandson of Herod the Great. And in Acts chapter 12, he kills one of the apostles, James. Okay, so he kills James and he imprisons Peter. And remember, Peter's in jail. He's got four soldiers guarding him, and God sends an angel. His name, Houdini Angel. Goes down into the prison, picks the locks, opens the door, brings Peter out past the gates, and delivers him safely to the church that was praying for him. And then Rhoda, the servant girl, she hears Peter, and she's so excited she doesn't open the door. Remember that? I love Rhoda. Okay. So, so then, um, this, this is the, the, the Herod. They're, they're all really wicked, but he's already killed one apostle. He's imprisoned another apostle. Now, I think as Luke is writing the book of Acts, um, he's going, well, everybody wants to know how did things end with Herod. So there's a story uh, in Acts 12 about how Herod dies. But before I read you that story, this is from secular history, okay? This is what secular history says about how Herod Agrippa I dies. By the way, there's a fourth Herod that we're going to talk about in just a second, and he listens to Paul on trial. But this is about Herod Agrippa I. Tiberius threw Herod Agrippa in prison. So Caesar throws Agrippa in prison. Sometime later, a fellow prisoner showed Agrippa a fierce-looking owl in the tree upon which Agrippa was leaning. So apparently they were in prison, but there was a, a prison yard. Agrippa's leaning against a tree, and a prisoner points to a fierce owl. Such an owl is called a uhu or a bubo. All right. It was rare to see in the daylight. The other prisoner told Agrippa that he would soon be delivered from imprisonment, promoted to the highest position of power, and envied by all who have pitied his misfortune. However, there was some bad news as well. According to the prisoner, the next time Agrippa saw the owl, he would die shortly thereafter. And you think I'm crazy with my owl stories, right? <laughs> I haven't seen, this, seen him a second time, though. <laughs> Agrippa remained in prison during the short reign of Tiberius. Upon Di Tiberius's death and the ascension of Caligula, Agrippa was not only set free, but he acquired the provinces that had belonged to his uncle Philip and more territories were added to his kingdom so that he ruled over the entire reign of Palestine, including uh, Judea. When Agrippa had reigned three years over Judea, he came to Caesarea, to the theater where Hall and Oates are going to be. Okay, And they put a throne right there. And the, the people from Tyre and Sidon up north come to hear King 
Agrippa. When Agrippa had reigned three years over Judea, he came to Caesarea where he organized shows in honor of Caesar. Agrippa put on an extraordinary garment made entirely of silver and came into the theater early in the morning. The sun illuminated the garment in such a surprising and resplendent manner that a look of horror spread over the faces of the multitude who cried out that he surely was a god. Upon this, the king did not rebuke the people or reject their impious flattery. He looked up and saw an owl sitting on a rope overhead, and he immediately understood that this bird was the messenger of ill tiding, and he became deeply sorrowful. He drops to the ground, filled with pain. Now, here's what the Bible says. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes. Now, it doesn't mention that they were made out of silver, but isn't it interesting that there's a reference to his robes here? Took his seat upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and was eaten by worms and breathed his last. Struck down, eaten by worms, and then he died. It's usually you die and then you're eaten by worms. But here, death by worms. And uh, if you put the two accounts together, he, he falls down, he's in pain, and then he suffers for several days of intestinal worms and dies. See, when God says, I will not give my glory to another, he means it. Right? So here is an example of the glory of God being halted by human pride, yet God overcomes it. Be careful, arrogant people. Okay? Be warned. All right? Last thing, and I think this is the last thing we'll cover this morning. Paul's imprisonment. All right? So you got Peter's prejudice, Herod's pride, Paul's prison. Okay? So the Apostle Paul spends his life traveling around the Roman Empire, preaching the gospel, planting churches. At the end of his third missionary journey, he comes back to Jerusalem where there's this big misunderstanding, a riot breaks out, and he's beaten up. He tries to preach to the Jews, but they won't listen, and he's dragged before the Sanhedrin where he gives his testimony. Okay? He's put in jail. And he hears of a plot, his little nephew who visits him. And the nephew tells him, they're trying to kill you, Paul. So Paul goes, could you just go tell the warden over there that they're trying to kill me? And the warden gathers 200 soldiers on horses 
and rushes Paul out of prison to Caesarea to save his life. He's in prison in Caesarea for two years. And you go, that's wasted time. Well, it gave Paul the opportunity to witness to and give testimony to three powerful men. First of all, Governor Felix. So there was Pontius Pilate, who was the governor of the region. After him was Felix. So he gets to uh, explain the gospel to Felix. After Felix is Governor Festus. He explains the gospel and shares his testimony with Festus. And then after that, Herod Agrippa II. This is the fourth Herod. He says, hey, I've heard you got this prisoner named Paul. I want to hear him. So he gets to explain his testimony to Herod Agrippa II. Now, Festus, the middle guy, He's listening to Paul and he's thinking to himself, he's innocent. But he doesn't want to let him go because he knows the Jews who put him in, uh, in prison wanted him dead. So he's listening to Paul and he thinks to himself, I can't let him go, but I can't kill him. And he says, hey, Paul, I'm going to send you back to Jerusalem. And, and Paul says, no, they'll kill me there. I appeal to Caesar as a, uh, a Roman citizen. You had the right to appeal to Caesar. It's like saying I appeal to the Supreme Court. So here's what uh, Festus says. To Caesar you have appealed. To Caesar you shall go. And then this is where in the book of Acts, Paul is put on the ship and then he's in the hurricane and the shipwreck. And then he uh, swims to, to the island and the snake bites him and he shakes it off into the fire. And then they bring him as a prisoner to Rome where eventually he testifies before Nero himself. And then they chop his head off. Okay. Now, most people would look at Caesarea as a place of chains and bars. But the gospel was not chained. Paul was able to proclaim it to two governors, King Herod, and then eventually Caesar himself. So what's the, the lesson from Caesarea? It's a place where the glory of God and the gospel overcame prejudice, pride, and even prison. It's an incentive to not let anything stop the gospel in your life. All right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for men like Paul, for men like Peter, who even in spite of himself is used to proclaim the gospel. And Lord, I pray you would produce in us such a zeal 
for your glory and for your gospel, that nothing would chain it, nothing would prevent it from going forth. Lord, if there's any prejudice in our heart, burn it out. If there's fear in our heart, burn it out. And use us, Lord, for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.